Welcome to Unexpected Points. I am your host, Kevin Cole. I am joined this week by Seth Kaiser. He is a Chiefs analyst for the Athletic KC. He also has his own Substack. Substack seems to be the thing all the cool kids are doing nowadays, so maybe I'll get in on this someday, uh, which is mnchiefsfan.substack.com. He is a film analyst. He is a Kansas City Chiefs fan. So I wanted to have him on because I want to basically suck up to Kansas City fans for my (laughs) Mahomes love here. Uh, So thank you for joining me, Seth. Hey, thanks for having me. This should be a lot of fun, and I I think I'm just the man. If, if you want to get on the good side of Chiefs fans, I think I can help you with that. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting how you figure Chiefs fans would just be so thankful at this point that the gods have blessed them with Patrick Mahomes, with Andy <laughs> Reid, with Tyreek Hill, with Travis Kelsey. I'm, I'm, I can almost talk for a few minutes here on all the different blessings that have come through here. Yet, right. I feel like that there's there's this point where if you're if you're completely hopeless as a franchise, those are some of the the most uh, you know serene fans that, that are possible out there. Once you have too much hope, then in Chiefs Kingdom you have a few off games, and it's like the panic button has been hit now going into Week 17. I have been surprised by that myself. Um, I so I try to. Uh, approach all these things from from two points of view one is you know just trying to analyze what's going on review the film and give an objective answer and two is just the fan side of things and from the fan perspective once they won it all ended the 50-year drought everything else is gravy from here on out for me and so I just don't have quite that same angst when things aren't going well plus you've got a really big sample size of things going well. And so, you know, if if things go askew for a quarter or two, I tend to be a little more, eh, I think they'll turn it around, um, except against the Falcons, apparently. Um, so it's been a weird amount of anger. And plus, there's a little bit of um, how dare you even remotely question, like, Mahomes or the Chiefs' greatness that happened real fast. <laughs> Um, so there's been, it's been an angry time for Chiefs fandom on Twitter, especially, but Twitter's an angry place. Yeah. I mean, I could see very quickly the, we finally won a championship overjoyed everything else. And then if they don't win this year and let's face it, even though they are the favorite, they are Mm -hmm. a fairly, uh, heavy favorite to win. It's not like they're an over 50% favorite, right? It's not like it's more likely than not that they'll win. But if that doesn't happen, I can already see in the off season, oh man, we were one, you know, lining up offsides and won this away from three straight championships, and yet we <laughs> yeah. only have one championship. And then you end up like Seahawks fans in a few years where you'll just be uh, complaining about about everything that had happened and only getting that one championship. But right. again, we're going to try to keep it positive here, so I don't want to focus too much on that. Uh, but before we get into everything Chiefs, I know that you, you, know, you look at, at everyone across the league, you had a chance to see the next quarterback I want to talk about, who was Tua Tungavailoa. You had a chance to see him when they played against the Chiefs not too long ago. And mm-hmm. the question that has popped up is probably being pushed a little bit more by, I'm guilty of this because I wrote an article about it, and then by <laughs> some other people at our company, is now the, they have the, the number three pick as of now. So, mm-hmm. so we don't know. It may end up being four. It may end up being five. But as of now, it's the number three pick because they got that pick from the Texans who in the, in the Laramie Tunsil trade. So there's this idea that I'm pushing a little bit and some others are pushing a little bit about, hey, just because you have Tua, who's been, I would say, good, not great, mm-hmm. can you think about dipping right back into that quarterback market? Because, you know, they're a 10-win team. Uh, they wouldn't have the opportunity to get uh, a top quarterback in what looks like a 
really solid three quarterback draft with with mm-hmm. Lawrence, of course, likely going number one, and then either Fields or Zach Wilson being being left over there. What do you think about the idea of dipping back in? Because it's something that's almost unprecedented that you could see a quarterback taken at number five, not completely fail as uh, as a rookie and then dip back in again uh, that next year. I think it makes sense if the guy you love is there. So my perspective on the draft, you know, I, I tend to view things as individual players rather than positions, even though there's obvious positional value that should go into what you consider doing. I think it just depends. So let's say this is where, you know, do you trust your scouting department? Do you trust your coaches? And if they go in there and they say, we absolutely love these two quarterbacks, the other guys we were pretty impressed with, we like them a lot, which is I'm sure how they felt about Tua, right? right. I, I think, and then you don't, you know, that those two that you love don't quote unquote fall to you at three. I think then you take a good, you take a good long, hard pause, and at least consider what you think of Tua at this point. I watching him against the Chiefs, you know, to talk from a film perspective, I was pretty impressed with him. He he adapted as the game went along. Um, so Steve Spagnolo loves to pressure quarterbacks, right? He loves to send these cover zero and cover you know cover one looks with like just you know it's like he's pushing engage eight over and over and over again, playing an old version of Madden. He loves sending the house at young quarterbacks and early on it rattled him and he started to adapt later in the game started hitting the obvious the obvious points started calling out the protections pretty well and so for him to adjust that quickly during the game it's impressive um it wasn't overwhelming though like you know you watch say like Justin Herbert and you say whoa you know that that dude can do some things that it's worth keeping an eye on Whereas with Tua he doesn't have any overwhelming physical characteristics that make you that make him necessarily stand out for me, it would be, again, if it's a quarterback they absolutely love, then yeah, I think you take him, especially if it's a quarterback that you valued above what you valued Tua at last year. And as a Chiefs fan, I have a unique perspective on this, even though it was a slightly different scenario. You know, 2017, everyone knows the story, right? Alex Smith had the best year of his career. He showed that with the right guy, you know, i.e. Tyreek Hill, he could stretch the field. Uh, He could be a better quarterback, even though he wasn't, there were still some inconsistencies that year, but looked better than he ever had. And the Chiefs really liked Alex Smith, but they loved Patrick Mahomes. And you go with the quarterback you love, and not, you know, not that any of these guys might not be Mahomes, right? You can't take an outlier and say, or an outlier and just say, well, that's going to be it. But if you think there is a 20% chance that he's 20% better that's worth it because the quarterback position is that important in the NFL. So it just depends, which is such a cop-out answer, right? But it depends on how much they love the guy that falls to them. If they love that guy, um, and I'm I'm partial to Wilson just because I, I like guys that play crazy, and he plays crazy. I like it. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because Wilson is a guy who's moved up a lot. He is our highest graded quarterback um college quarterback so far this year and what's been admittedly a weird year uh across the board especially for right. uh ohio state and and justin fields hasn't played as much as some of the others so i do see that shift going going around there but so just to go back to, to Tua for a se- for a second i think it's interesting depending on which game you watched i think you can get a very different impression of who mm-hmm. he is as a quarterback and the one 
uh, metric, and of course I'm going to stick to the to the nerd stuff here, and I'm going to stick to some of the numbers. But the one metric that I think is really interesting is his average depth of target. Now in that Chiefs game, like you mentioned, he was. You know, I won't say forced, but the the type of defense that Spagnolo plays, you know, he has to take some shots. He had a he had a nine point eight yard average depth of, depth of target in that game, which is really really healthy. Now in the last two games, it's been three point four and three point eight, which is minuscule. I mean, it is really really low. And you saw mm-hmm. immediately in that Raiders game that the moment that Ryan Fitzpatrick got back in, got got into the game, and he came in at the end uh, to to win the game. I mean, it wasn't just the last second throw. It was on all of those drives. He was pushing the ball downfield, and that's something yep. that Tua was not doing. So I can see that being the concern. And, and to go all the way back to the 2020 draft, I think teams can reveal at least some of their preferences about about a quarterback. And going into that draft, the thought was, you know, Burrow's going to go number one. Uh, Chase Young probably is going to stick at number two, no matter what, no matter how how high someone is on Tua or potentially even on Herbert. They're not going to trade into that spot because uh, the, the, the football team is going to, is going to stick there. Washington's going to stick there and take right. him. Now, the fact that not only the Dolphins, but no other team traded up four to, a, to three to four. I mean, it's not like uh, Jeff Okuda or Andrew Thomas were so great of prospects that right. – uh, they wouldn't have been willing to trade out. I think they would have been willing to trade out and go down a couple of spots easily for, for Miami, but Miami wasn't willing to do that. So I think that reveals at least a little bit of the fact that Miami might have sat there at number five, said, hey, one of these two guys is going to come to us. We need a quarterback. We're going to take shots. You know, We spent a second-round pick on Josh Rosen the year before just to take a shot on mm-hmm. somebody. So I don't know if they're mm-hmm. in love with Tua, and I think that may have revealed a little bit of the fact that they maybe they're not as in love with Tua, or else they would have traded up to go get him last year. Right. And it, to, again, you know, make the Mahomes comparison, the Chiefs traded up to 10. Now, they didn't trade up into the top three. But when you look at the way the draft fell that year, 10 was where they needed to get, really. Um, just, yeah. I mean, you, know, you can't really get to three. You can't really get to three from the 20s. It's really difficult, at least. You'd have to like, yeah, yeah, do, a you, series of, you, you, do a series of trades. I mean, the Eagles kind of did that in 2016, but they moved right. up to, I think it was eight first and then moved up uh to two from from the teens so yeah Mm -hmm. i think it would have been nearly impossible for the chiefs to have moved all the way up to to get mahomes right and it's also a matter of with the way the draft falls you know in terms of what prospects are there what teams you think are gonna try to grab what guys you know they kind of played it really well a lot of things fell fell together there but it does say something you know they did still trade up for him right they didn't just you know oh man he he fell to 25 26 yeah we might as well take him we really love him this was this is our guy this is who we absolutely need and you didn't see that with two and I do think with the quarterback position, a 10% difference in ability, it, it moves the needle more than in almost, I would say, the difference between an average player and a superstar at every other position. You know, if you could pick on your team whether you upgrade your quarterback by 10% or whether you trade out your worst player at another position for one of the best in the NFL, I think that 10% shift in quarterback is probably going to make a bigger difference. And that's why it's such a unique position and where I do think it does make sense for them if there is a prospect that they really, really like to still go for it. Because worst case scenario, Tua has put together some pretty decent tape and the NFL has shown it'll trade for quarterbacks with some decent tape. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And and like you mentioned, this is not a team that is completely flailing who's going to hope that a quarterback comes in 
and changes everything around. I mean, they already they're already a ten win team, right? Uh, with right. questionable quarterback play, with you know an offensive line that's improved, with a defense that looks really strong, and they've locked down you know a couple of really solid corners there, and they have the, they have the rest of the defense playing well. So this is really a situation where you're even getting more of an enhancement, in my opinion, by bringing in and adding that final piece to get that quarterback going forward. And at least some, with some projections that I did. You know, Tua's been good. He's been okay this year. I mean, he's been a lot worse than than Herbert or Joe Burrow from mm-hmm. our uh, from our grading perspective. So again, he has not wowed. I don't think enough where you can bring in another guy and say maybe you're not doubling your chances of, of getting an elite quarterback, but you're bringing in a similar a similar prospect, a similar draft position. And Tua hasn't really done enough to to say hey, he's way better than than a top five pick. What you would have expected from a top five pick. Absolutely. I, and I agree completely. It's it, it's really that, that in-between spot where Tua hasn't necessarily shown that he can be elite. And look, we, we don't want to judge quarterbacks too early, especially as much as Miami's been really well coached this year. They've handled his situation a little bit weird, I think. With It seems like they can't quite make up their minds what they want to do. Right. Um, and maybe they finally unlocked the secret to getting the best out of Ryan Fitzpatrick is to only play him every now and then. Because when he's a backup, he lights the world on fire. So maybe they're on to something crazy here. I don't know. But he hasn't really shown enough to make you think or any of those like dominating traits. So let's take, for example, you know, the one everyone wants to kick around right now is Josh Allen, right? At least with him, even though he was not good as a rookie, you saw certain elite traits, right? Where you said to yourself, well, on his best play... That dude is Patrick Mahomes. Like, that dude, I mean, he can do anything. It's just all the other stuff that's really, really bad. And that at least makes you willing to take a year on it, right? See if it improves. And they obviously weren't in the position, like you said, a lot of teams don't wind up in the position to where they're, they've got a quarterback they're relatively comfortable with and have a top three pick. Take it from a guy whose team was in quarterback purgatory for years and years and years, and I include Alex Smith in that, regardless of the tremendous amount of respect I have for him. He's a decent quarterback, but you're still decent quarterbacks in today's NFL is quarterback purgatory. Because there's just, you know, it wasn't too long ago, what was it, like five, six years ago, we were starting to worry about, oh no, you know, there's not going to be enough good quarterbacks in the league. Now, you really need someone that can stand and trade punches with a lot of really awesome players. And a decent quarterback probably isn't enough to get you there most of the time. It's going to be too hard to build a team around that. You know, you know, take the playoffs this year, for example. You're going to have to beat probably Patrick Mahomes. Are you comfortable with a decent quarterback doing that, knowing what it means the rest of your team has to play like? I think when you're picking at three, especially in a quarterback draft like this one, you know, it, it's a little bit of a different deal. It's worth the risk. And, and it's just, again, I, I, I used to be someone who I had to be convinced of how much the quarterback position changes everything. And let's just say the last three years have thoroughly convinced me of that argument that it is more important than every other position combined. Yeah, I mean, I think there's also an argument that with the adoption of different you know, college concepts and a lot of the the Shanahan play action concepts across the league that the floor maybe has been raised for, for a lot of for a lot of quarterbacks and how they can play and it's become this mm-hmm. short passing league too, right? So just the individual throws are not as difficult as you used to ask a quarterback to do in in the past. But yet 
to make certain plays, and, I, and I'm going to talk about this a bit uh, when we talk about some MVP stuff with, with Mahomes and Rodgers, <laughs> but to make certain types of plays, which are plays where the defense knows you're going to throw the ball. There's, yep. no, there's no hint of the fact that you can run the ball. Uh, you're under pressure. They know they can bring pressure. Uh, being able to make plays in those circumstances if you don't have some of the traits that, w- that we're talking about, I mean, it doesn't have to be a Josh Allen trade. It doesn't have to be a Patrick Mahomes trade. Right. But it probably maybe has to be a little bit more than what, what Tua brings in some of those traits. If you don't have those or you don't have insane processing like, like some quarterbacks, quarterbacks have, then it becomes difficult to really say you're going to – like the differentiation between that and, a high, and just a high-floor quarterback that you may be able to bring in at a much lower, lower price or lower draft position – um, the difference between those two is pretty small versus the, the real leap you can get forward w- with another type of prospect like a Zach Wilson, maybe, if everything goes right. Absolutely. And that's where a, a prospect like him should get a closer look than maybe he would have in the past, where I think coaches are starting to catch on that certain things don't matter as much. And it's about, you know, can he make it happen consistently? Now, that's something that obviously requires charting and a lot of careful looks. But the ability to consistently make things happen when plays break down, like you said, it doesn't have to look like any one thing. It can be some trait that allows you, maybe you process things a little bit faster. Maybe you're much more athletic. Maybe you're more accurate. Maybe you've got a huge arm, whatever. It's got to be something that when when things break down, what happens? When your offense isn't winning consistently every snap, what happens? And I think you're right. The floor for quarterback play is a lot higher. It's just a matter. So you can get a lot of guys that can, you know, operate an offense for most weeks really, really well. What happens when you play the Saints, you know, and you've got a couple of edge rushers that are just metahumans hitting your quarterback every other play? What happens then? And so the answer with a guy like Alex Smith is usually you lose. And so to find someone that can make it to where you at least have a puncher's chance, that's a huge deal. And I think, again, you're playing against just crazy quarterbacks right now. And odds are they're going to make some crazy plays and you need someone who can at least do it at times. You know, actually, one thing I want to bring up in as part of this traits discussion is thinking about Joe Burrow. Now, there, yeah. it's interesting because the the shift of opinion on Burrow because he was he was the number one pick. We all know that he was mm-hmm. kind of the the obvious number one pick. But those of us who are really focused on traits, and I think the success of Josh Allen this year. To a lesser, it has brought this to the forefront. I mean, less to a lesser degree, Mahomes, because that's been an ongoing thing. Um, you can point to Joe Burrow and say this guy doesn't have uh, at least the arm strength type type of type of trait, but yet he graded very very well for us. He seemed like he has maybe that processing side of it in, in what he does. Yep. And if you looked at what the Bengals were doing, they were asking him to throw with a very poor offensive line, approximately 110 times a, a game. <laughs> he was going back to, to pass so often it was and more, getting killed. Yeah, give, or, give or take like one. And he was getting <laughs> right. hit approximately 98% of those snaps. Right. So, so they weren't taking anything off of his plate. They weren't saying, you know what, kid, we're going to allow you to go back there, hand the ball off, do some play action, uh, look at that, stare down that first read and try to make the throw. They were giving it all to him. So... I think there are some people, though, now, because he got injured, because Herbert is an, Herbert's another guy, right? So Herbert kind of fits in that mold where people are really becoming convinced of this traits. Like, I think traits are coming to the forefront. And because of that, I feel like Burrow has, has suffered a bit. Do you have an opinion about, about Burrow going, going forward and whether or not 
there should be more skepticism for him because of this trades issue. Or again, is, is like there's different ways to skin a cat. He can really play at that level. He can make those pressure throws. He can do those things. And it doesn't have to be in the same way as a Mahomes, as a sure. Herbert, as an Allen. So I think with Herbert, the question is one of consistency within structure. Um, and then also you got to get rid of the really stupid plays, right? And this is like the Josh Allen special, right? Uh, Allen has always made tremendous plays. He also made just tremendously stupid plays and he still does some of that. Uh, my, my, my good friend, uh, with the athletic, my, my buddy who hosts times ours, he calls, uh, Josh Allen is like Patrick Mahomes on LSD. It's like, (laughs) you just don't know what's going to happen. And so, I think with Herbert, the the problem that I see with him, and this isn't necessarily a problem. He's been really, really good. I think he's getting a little overrated because the highs are so high, right? He's right up there Mm -hmm. in terms of the throws that he makes. They're tremendously difficult. He shows he can navigate the pocket a little bit. He can be accurate generally. I mean, those are things that I think will long-term lead to a lot of success. But within structure, you've that's uh and i i think this will go towards i mean your guys's stuff which i think is tremendous in this regard has demonstrated that succeeding from within the pocket and within the framework of the offense is the most predictive thing because it's what happens the most often and if you're not succeeding in that at as high a rate as you'd like to see that can become problematic and so i think at a certain point you're going to have guys like mahomes and and rogers earlier of course now josh allen coming around i think you're probably going to see a swing too far the other direction where it's going to go back to being about traits like kind of like so like jamarcus russell right the ultimate traits guy which there were a lot of other things wrong with that you know it was a ryan leaf type thing too they were maybe too obsessed with traits. So then you, you start swinging it the other way. Well, we need a guy who looks a certain way when he plays because you want to avoid that huge variance. I think now you're going to see the pendulum swing back again with the success of Mahomes and the success of Allen because for a long time it was like, well, only Rodgers can do it. Only Favre can do it. And now it's like, well, you know, Kyler Murray can play kind of kind of crazy and make it work. Lamar Jackson can play kind of, you know, Deshaun Watson. These guys, Josh Allen, they can all play a certain way. And so I think you're going to see the pendulum swing and you're going to end up with some big swings and misses at trait guys and Herbert might be one of them I personally am not thrilled about him being in the AFC West especially if he gets a better offensive minded coach because I think they'll be able to set him up to succeed more within the framework you know get that that you know that every down passing down and then he's the guy that on third and 15 can will you to an extra set of downs yeah yeah I mean he's been the number one quarterback by passing grade for us under pressure so that's something again yeah extremely valuable right extremely valuable mm-hmm. but he's he's more mid-pack from a clean pocket and that's the more predictive thing so it's it's maybe a little bit more of a, of a wait and see on on herbert this year well let's uh, let's turn to another quarterback who's in the news um i don't know if i don't know how to exactly frame him in the discussion of traits or what we know about him but that is mitchell trubisky and right. The Bears are in a tough spot because they're on the verge of maybe making the playoffs. And after making the playoffs, you don't normally see a quarterback jettisoned at that point, other than Alex Smith when you have Patrick Mahomes waiting waiting in the wings. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's probably going to be back without a plan B. The question I would want to know from you is, there seems to be a growing acceptance that, you know what, he's not going to be 
uh, uh, Patrick Mahomes. He's not going to be how Josh Allen is being this year. But you, you surround him with the right pieces. You give him the right offense. <laughs> he can play well enough to be successful. And maybe that's the best course, at least in the short term, for the Bears. So w- w- would you agree with that with the team? Or would you think that potentially taking a shot and, and at whoever may else may be available, your next best option would be a better course of action than potentially getting stuck with Trubisky for another couple of seasons. I, I think, I mean, the first thing is, I mean, it, you know, the people that are asking whether it's a debate, whether they should get him a contract extension, that would be insane. Um, in my <laughs> opinion, uh, that, that would be absolutely nuts. I, so do you think I they should franchise him then potentially? <laughs> Cause they don't have him under contract next year. Oh, so he's right. Agent. Yeah. And that's where, I mean, if I, if it were me, I'd let him walk because okay. you're not going to win a ton of games barring here, here's the deal. You're the only way you're going to win a ton of games with Mitch Trubisky based on everything we've seen is if your team plays at a level that you'll win a ton of games with anyone. Not, I mean, literally anyone. I I always say this with the caveat that Mitch Trubisky is better at quarterback than I am at literally anything. These guys are metahumans. They're freaks. But at the NFL level, he has not demonstrated with any sort of consistency the ability to perform at a high level. I think they'd win as many games, if not more, with Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think they'd win as many games or maybe more with Chad Henney. Uh, Now, to be fair, I've got a soft spot for Chad Henney. Or Matt Moore. Down to be fair, I've got a soft spot for Matt Moore. But... (laughs) He he doesn't do anything that really moves the needle, and whether it's in structure or out of structure. And so, yeah, I, f- I forgot that they had they'd let that happen. And so, really, in, unless you franchise them, which seems objectively crazy, unless they've just got a lot of money to play with to see one more year, I, I think you let him walk and you try to find some sort of patchwork something, or you try to dra- go up and get a guy. I just don't think there's a lot of options. They've painted themselves in a really 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 bad spot but i think an extension unless he's willing to agree to some kind of like one year really cheap deal which he might have to i think maybe then you do that just because i don't know what your other options are and that's maybe the way you decide to try to rebuild maybe the way the team is set up that that's an option and then hey if he happens to find lightning in a bottle great but I just think they're in an awful position of their own making. And it's hard to have sympathy because obviously I, I very directly benefited from them doing these things in a way that I don't think was very smart. I think Trubisky is an example of a lot of things that can go wrong with quarterback scouting at the NFL level in terms of like looking for the wrong things and maybe ignoring the right things. And so if I were them, I would probably let him walk unless he was willing to come back on a one-year, very cheap deal. And that's only because of their lack of other options, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he could maybe be a cautionary tale when we're talking about the traits-based scouting. I mean, he wasn't on the level of uh, Josh Allen as far as traits are concerned. But I think when you put him up specifically against Deshaun Watson, you could say, you know, he's taller, he he's actually just as athletic as Deshaun Watson, which is a little bit strange. He, he ran like he, he ran the same the same forty time and everything else. He probably has a little bit better arm. At least that was the perception. I think Deshaun Watson yeah. has, has shown that his arm is a lot better. But there was this whole thing, you know, there's a radar gun. You know, you gotta have the radar gun <laughs> yeah. controversy at, at the combine, all this sort of thing. So I I can see that. And I think I'm with you and the fact that they should let him walk. But the problem is a lot of the teams, and I think the Bears have been in this category for a while, and really ever since the Khalil Mack trade, is they're just, you know, keep on pushing it to try to 
maximize this window of talent that they had, specifically the, the defensive talent that they had. And it's just going to be tough where you have a little bit of signal from this season that it's possible to do it again. And maybe you can get it going right. again. Um, but obviously the likelihood that everything else falls into place and then Trubisky performs at a level that gets you here again and everything that has to happen, yeah, it's probably a little bit of, of, of a mistake there. Uh, okay, let's actually let's let's pivot now to I want to talk MVP talk. So if you follow the the betting markets like I do, um, Mahomes was almost if you look at the like the implied probability by what the betting markets were, he was somewhere around 75, 80% chance of winning the MVP just mm-hmm. before this week and now it's flipped to Rodgers all the way in the other direction. So I'll, I'll all ask he you needed first. to do was torch one of the worst defenses in the league. That's all he needed to do. And I thought he was well, going to do it. <laughs> yeah, but I think there was a obviously the the Mahomes' performance against Atlanta who again is they don't have a great defense also, right? So I think that was that was part no, of No, I'm it. saying that's all Mahomes needed to do. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry. I thought you were saying all Rodgers needed to do. Was oh no, no, Rodgers played great. Defense. He he took advantage. No, no, they they Rodgers did great. He took advantage of the opportunity, and and no, it was I was talking about Mahomes just because I think it's a uh, it's so funny that that I was expressing frustration like man he really he maybe could have had that in the bag had he just lit up Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's kind of weird how the Falcons actually frustrated Derek Carr and some other people, and then against and then in other games they just. Uh, seem to roll out the red carpet for for anyone to to march down the field over and over again. Um, <laughs> it's the Bob so Sutton experience, think, right there so in a nutshell. Th- do you think this award? I mean, number one, I I, I guess I think Rogers is going to win because because of what mm-hmm. the market's telling us and what everyone's saying. Do you think there's still a case though that Patrick Mahomes is the MVP this season? I think you can make a case for either of them just because they've both played at such an unbelievably high level. I, I'm I don't know of a time when two quarterbacks played at this high level. Um and I'm not talking necessarily just statistically, but they've both been so good under a lot of circumstances. If I were gonna make a case for Mahomes, um, you know, there's there's arguments to be made for everyone. I would say that Mahomes, you know, Rogers really only had one bad game this year, right? Um, but that bad game was obviously utterly horrific. Yeah, it was Whereas, bad. It, <laughs> it, was it was really bad. It was so bad. Whereas one can argue that Mahomes' worst game, which I think people would universally say, people can talk about the Miami game. You know, a couple of those picks were just kind of weird picks. And then they did a bunch of stuff later on. His his, his worst game of the year was against Atlanta. Um, and I'm, I'm looking at the film for that now. He honestly just looked off. It's the worst game I've seen him play as a pro. I'm not even sure it's that close. Other games, there was like, you know, maybe the the offensive scheme wasn't really doing much of anything or the defense was knocking him around. And he usually still manages to find a way to string together, you know, like 28 points or whatever and drag them down the field for a few drives. Whereas with Atlanta, it just didn't really happen. And you kept waiting for that switch to flip. It was bizarre. Um, So, you know, you could say Mahomes' worst game wasn't probably, though, as bad as Rodgers' worst game. But at this point, and this is what ends up happening when you've got such great players that you're you're comparing to, you end up just picking nits, right? And so that's where I would say if, there were two things that I would say for Mahomes. I think Mahomes has had to, I think he's the superior of the two of them when things aren't going right. Uh, I think he, he is, he's the superior of the two of them in terms of 
when the other team seems to be doing things that are shutting down your offense, I think Mahomes is a little better at dragging the offense to success. And the example I would use um, that I was pointing to people before Mahomes blew it against the Falcons was the their second touchdown drive against the New Orleans Saints. On uh, I, I think it was Romo on the call there where he commented that the Saints have basically played perfect defense this drive, and it just hasn't mattered. Because And it wasn't because anyone else made a great play. It's because Mahomes just did ridiculously stupid things. I think he's got the edge in that category. And I think his worst wasn't as bad as Rodgers' worst, whereas his best was as good as Rodgers' best. I think that would be the, the best argument, but it's largely a subjective one. Yeah, I mean, for, for me, I think the... I mean, it's clear that if you want to just rank order things, you could say... Rodgers has got a higher efficiency if you're looking mm-hmm. at a lot of traditional metrics, if you're looking at expected points added per play or something like that. He's he's a little bit higher. Um, he's higher by completion percentage over expected, which is not my favorite measure, uh, mm-hmm. quite honestly. But he's, he's, he's higher on that that people will point to. And... While that's true, we're we're talking about the difference between you know a 99th percentile outcome versus a 96th percentile outcome or something like that, right? It's not as mm-hmm. if it's, it's not it's not <laughs> such a material difference that you you're obligated to say that this makes someone clearly better than someone else. So uh, uh, here, here's here's my case. So I'll I'll just break down my case for for Mahomes here. Number one, it's really how is your value to the overall offense as opposed to just looking at your, that your that player's particular efficiency. So, mm-hmm. if you look at what the teams do and how they how they structure their offense, I there's more of an element with the Packers of being this run setting up the pass offense that they're not mm-hmm. as heavy as as you know McVay with Goff or Shanahan or someone there, but, but they do have a lot of that. They do run the ball quite a bit more. I mean, their 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 pass percentage this year was around 58 percent versus around 66 67% for the Chiefs and if you look at how much they're passing versus what you would expect the Chiefs are passing about 10% more often than you would have expected based upon you know down distance all that score differential all that stuff right where the Packers are almost right in line with, with what they're going to be doing so the Chiefs again they're choosing to pass the ball in situations where traditionally you don't you don't need to and then they keep on pushing that forward which and is going to affect efficiency which is going to affect efficiency. Now, some people have this idea that volume doesn't matter for, for efficiency because if you, if you chart out uh, quarterbacks by volume, by, and, and by volume and efficiency, there's no correlation between uh, you know, quarterbacks who throw at a higher volume aren't less efficient than quarterbacks who throw at a lower volume. But the problem there is, of course, you know, quarterbacks who are good throw at a higher volume, right? And quarterbacks right. who are not as good throw at a lower volume. And maybe not overall that's the case because if you're, if you're a bad quarterback, you're trailing, so you're throwing more often. There's that element. But it's, it's, it's when you're choosing to do it. So, again, the Chiefs, if you adjust for situation, the Chiefs are choosing to do it more often. That New Orleans game, right? How that, mm-hmm. how that Saints defense was playing in the first half, I can't imagine any team – any other team in the NFL that would have said, you know what, we're just going to keep throwing the ball every single time, even yeah. though our quarterback is being is being terrorized by four yeah. rushing, um, they're not they're not they're not falling for any of these play fakes at all, and right. the coverage is so good on the back end. I think most teams would have said, you know what, let, let, let's let's start running the ball and and see what right. happens. Um, but I was actually I was almost like, hey, why aren't you guys running the ball at a certain yeah. point? Because I couldn't believe it because I thought that he was on the precipice of disaster um, right. a, a few times, and it only happened with that fumble. There's only a real, a real disaster with, with the fumble, which came uh, which came on a hit very very quickly in the pocket. So anyway, so the, the Chiefs are really 
saying uh, that they have that confidence factor in what in what Mahomes is doing there. And then the the Packers also have the most efficient run team running game outside of if you if you eliminate quarterbacks you eliminate you know stuff like what the Baltimore Ravens are doing with Lamar Jackson they have the most efficient running game so if you look at the, the how they're added I did this calculation of looking at the expected points versus running and passing and you'd expect I mean Mahomes and the passing offense the passing offense for the Chiefs is accounting for about 95 percent of the value that's being added five percent <laughs> for the for the rushing offense and then for the Packers it's more like 82 83 percent so it's a big it's just a big difference on how they're being used there. So I think I think right. that is 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 a big point in just saying that yeah, there there's a there's a differential in the efficiency, but what they're asking Mahomes to do more than offsets that that differential. And I I really like that you're looking at how that type of thing can affect efficiency. And you're looking more at well you know you're trying to narrow down what is the quarterback doing because it's not most valuable scheme right? It's not no right. most valuable, you know, people want to talk about weapons and line. It's not. So that's where, yeah, we can talk about stats, but stats, everyone knows, even efficiency stats for quarterbacks are in part a team stat um, and in part a scheme stat. And so it, it, it it's very different in the way the two teams are played. The, the Packers do have a team that does, uh, man, I don't want to use the term establish the run because that's not really an accurate way. That's not the reason Rodgers is successful. But he does have some easier looks and is asked to do a little bit less than what Mahomes is asked to do. And again, the Saints game is a great example. I, I was sitting there like, maybe they should run the ball a little more, guys, because this, <laughs> this looks dangerous. And the fact that he didn't wilt under that is absurd. Um, I think that that's a great argument. I think another one to make, and this is where I think there's a lot of people that are going to have a lot of opinions about offensive weapons and, you know, who has the superior supporting stat, you know, the supporting cast and personally, and this might just be because I'm a Chiefs fan and I grew up, you know, watching, you know, the, the offensive lines of 2002, 2003, 2004, I personally think, you know, one offensive lineman does not move the needle as much as one wide receiver, right? But I think if you have an exceptional entire pass protecting group, as in excellent, you know, left tackle to right tackle, no weaknesses, multiple excellent players, which the Packers do, I think that arguably moves the needle, particularly for a good quarterback or a great quarterback, more than almost any receiver could. Because that type of protection... It alters things. And that's where, you know, everyone talks about Mahomes' weapons aren't remotely, are, are so much better. Which I think, I think there's a little disrespectful to Devontae Adams, who's probably the best receiver in the league. Um, but that offensive line, if we're going to start going into the who has what, Mahomes has three of his starters gone, including easily their best lineman in Mitch Schwartz, who schematically they rely on a ton. You know, they love to run a bunch of spread stuff. They, they they would leave him on an island, and that's how they covered up a weak interior line last year and in previous years, um, you, besides Mitch Morse. They were able to cover up at times some weaknesses on the interior because Schwartz would handle his guy on the edge, and you were able to, you didn't, the right guard, he just, he never even looked that direction, and he never had to. I've, I've seen the grades you guys have for Mitch Schwartz. It was insane what he would do. You lose that guy, it, it has a domino effect across the line. You can't just bunch up your interior anymore. There's a lot of problems that exist there. And so I think there is an argument to be made that Rodgers is asked to do less in terms of how often he's asked to throw 
and the amount of pressure that he's put under. I, I, he's not put under pressure at remotely the same rate as Mahomes. And I and this is more eye test and limited charting on my part. You'd have more information than I would. But the difference in how they play when under intense pressure, I think favors Mahomes a fair amount. Which, again, when you're talking most valuable player, it all depends on how you frame the conversation. If you're framing the conversation in who does the most to, absent everything else, help their team win, I think the guy who is able to make things happen under the toughest circumstances at a higher rate should maybe get the nod, if that makes sense. No, no, that that definitely makes sense. And yeah, I I, I looked into this to try to put some numbers around the the pressure stuff, the offensive line, all, all that that sort of stuff. So, I mean, you're right by a lot of objective standards, whether it's ESPN's pass block win rate, whether it's our grades for offensive line, whether it's uh, some work that the one of our data scientists here, uh, Timo Riske, did, where he's look he looks at how long a quarterback quote unquote survives, in other words, avoids pressure versus what you'd expect based upon time to throw, and he can calculate. For each team, whether it's longer or shorter than you'd expect, and, and what ends up happening is when you rank order these things, the Chiefs are not bad. Like the Chiefs are normally in the top ten, but the, the problem the problem with using this rank ordering is you say, oh, the Chiefs are number seven and the Packers are number two, so therefore both have a good have a good offensive line. But when you dig into the details of it, it's really mm-hmm. the Browns and the Packers. And a tremendously huge gap to number three, and then the gap between number three and you know, average or slightly below average is less than the gap between three and the top two. They're, they're that right. much better as far as they're, they're giving Rodgers, according to these measures, they're giving Rodgers on your average play anywhere from a third to a half a second longer before he would have a pressure than, than you'd expect for, for, and for that's other teams. that's a crazy, crazy amount of time at the NFL level. A half it's second a, is absurd. Just in case anyone listening is like, oh, it's just half a second. <laughs> no, that is an eternity at the NFL level. Right. I mean, we're talking about like an average time to throw for, for most quarterbacks is, you know, 2.5, 2.7 seconds. So we're talking about, you know, 25, 20, 25% of what, of, of what they have to, to throw is, is giving them extra. And when we know it's harder to quantify the weapon stuff, like you mentioned, it's really hard to figure out. You have these guys versus you don't. You know, they run mm-hmm. a lot of under center play action, which probably allows you to get guys open a little bit better even if they're not great weapons you know they do 75 percent of their play action is in that sort of is in that sort of manner so that helps but what we do know pretty clearly is we have numbers for how quarterbacks perform under pressure and how they perform from a clean pocket and if you look at grading the average grade for a quarterback from a clean pocket is in the 80s the average grade for a quarterback when they're pressured is in the 50s so it's it's a tremendously huge difference between those two. And then from expected points perspective, the average expected points for a, for a quarterback from a clean pocket is roughly uh, 0.25 per play. And then under pressure, it's negative 0.35 because of sacks <laughs> and everything else that comes into play. So it's just it's this huge, huge difference. So when you start talking about Mahomes has about 10% higher pressure rate than, than what Rodgers has. Now, some of that he invites. Some of sure. that is the fact yep. that he holds the ball longer. Not that Rodgers doesn't hold the ball, but Rodgers has been much better this year about getting rid of the ball. Some of that he invites. But if, you know, Rodgers, his pressure rate was 5 10% higher, and you combine that with the fact that you're, you're right in your assumption that Mahomes is driving a lot of his value when he's under pressure, as opposed to Rodgers is driving a ton of his value when... I mean, he's also good under pressure, but... 
he's astronomically good when he's not being pressured and he has time to throw. I looked at passes where he has you know straight drop back at least two and a half seconds. Mm-hmm. to throw and he's not pressured like Rodgers is just totally through the roof as far as how well he's performing in those situations so if you added a bit more pressure to Rodgers mix I think that could really narrow if not completely close and flip the gap between the two of them as far as how how well they're playing from like I said the slight difference in efficiency right and that's that, that's where the again you know to start with you know go back to the caveat at the beginning of all this when you're talking about two guys playing at this high a level you're picking nits either would be a right. perfectly fine choice and you're asking you know what's the thing that you value the most um that that level of pressure and you know even five ten percent like you're saying it just drags efficiency stats to a different place and so it really does come down to, and it's one of the problems with really comparing players in very different systems in the first place. And so I I, I completely agree, obviously, that there's, there's, there's a problem with acting like the pass protection isn't a significant issue because it is. And one might argue that it's more of an issue than weapons. Now, to be fair... I have a hard time because I end up arguing out of both sides of my mouth there because on one hand I'm arguing, wow, Mahomes' weapons aren't that much better. And then on the other side of my mouth I'm saying Travis Kelsey's the greatest tight end ever walked the face <laughs> of the earth. And those are those are hard. These are hard things to do at the same time. But I'm comfortable in my, my bathing in my own hypocrisy here. Um, but that's where I, I do think it, it at least equalizes. And then maybe you start talking about well, you know, what are they doing in high leverage situations? What are they doing on third down? And I know that's something you guys have done some work in, and that's something I've looked at a lot recently, and that Mahomes is just this weird aberration on third down and has been for three years. Now, we don't know if he will be for six years or eight years, but we know so far he is this bizarre aberration to where, you know, third and 10 comes up. And, you know, if I want to treat it anecdotally, as a fan, I'm like, yeah, they're probably going to get this. And, right. and, and, and you know, normally that would just be a silly feeling that I get as a fan. But when you look at the numbers, they are so much better than other teams at converting third downs. And the way that he plays on third down is, is quantifiably different than other quarterbacks in that he's always throwing to the sticks, no matter what it is. You know, third and 25, Mahomes is throwing it 26 yards. There, there's a certain, there, there's something to that that I think, again, when you're when you're finding these little differences, I think Mahomes' ability to, to extend drives, because one of the most valuable things I think a quarterback can do is extend a drive on third down in a situation where they shouldn't be expected to do it. And that's something I think he does at a higher rate than anyone else. And I don't, I'm not even sure it's that, it's that close. Now, I haven't charted that information. I've only looked at a few other quarterbacks' games, and there's a substantial difference. And I think that would be another argument to him in that, again, if you're talking value, well, the most valuable thing you can do is extend a drive and give you opportunity to add more points. Because drives, you know, that's, that's the valuable currency in the NFL, possessions. And you can extend possessions. That's an incredible value adder. And I think Mahomes is the best in the league at that. Yeah, I mean, the numbers back you up on, on that also. I, I do a, a somewhat simple calculation where, again, I'm looking at the distance to gain and the field position and to see how quarterbacks are converting third downs and fourth downs versus what you'd expect. And, you know, it's, it's another one of situations where there's just this huge difference between the, the top few because Patrick Mahomes is the best as far as the rate at which he's converting these. He's converting 
at a little bit over 13% better, higher conversion rate than what you'd expect. And Rogers is third, but his conversion rate at third is only five and a half percent. So it's <laughs> it's it's not in in the ball game. And actually, Josh Allen is is in between at almost ten percent, which is excellent, excellent, excellent. And if you want to just yeah. wrap some numbers around this, so Mahomes this year, according to my numbers, has converted twenty three more third or fourth downs than you would have expected based upon the situation mm-hmm. that that he's had there. Whereas Rogers is a little bit under ten. So. I mean, that's just such a huge difference. Now, that, that, that feeds into these expected points added calculation. It feeds into all those things. But I think you can more easily say on those types of plays that the quarterback is really, really important in being able to do that because there is no threat uh, for the most part because teams are passing at an overwhelming rate, even on third and three and, and longer. Mm-hmm. There is no real threat of those other players, you know, just being able to hand off the ball or the defense not being ready for it or the defense being keyed on something else in, in those situations. I'm convinced Mahomes should win the MVP. And it'll be a travesty <laughs> if he loses. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I like that. I like that. Uh, but let's go to some more cheap stuff because I want to, I'm, again, I'm probably a little bit too too biased towards them, but I think some people are making some good points about potential vulnerability with the Chiefs. Sure. And it's been masked a little bit by the fact that over the course of the last few weeks, they haven't played as well. But th- because of the fact that the Steelers fell off and now they've secured the bye, they have a better chance of winning the Super Bowl because, because you know they have the bye, but they may be a weaker team internally. So so what do you think about the fact that they have all these one-score victories there are other and these other things that are normally seen as being fluky? Are you scared that there could be a convincing yourself that, well, the Chiefs are just different and they will win close games when in reality there should be more of a flashing red warning signal about what will happen potentially in the playoffs if they get into one of these games and they just won't be able to get that last third down conversion that they need they won't be able to get that last touchdown they need they won't be able to hold the 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 opposing side on that last drive that they've needed to do a few times in this winning streak i think you know so there's there's two things to look at there historically we know that one score games hinge on almost as much luck as skill if not just as much Uh, i know that they're not predictive and that's the reason why you know to hear things like the Chiefs set a record by winning six straight one score games that's weird. You'd think someone would have done more than six, but the problem is it's hard to not lose a game if you're winning like that. And so you can view that one of two ways. You can say, wow, it's really hard to win all those games, and they did it. Or you can say, ah, they've won a lot of close games. And then they, of course, extended it with a seventh because Patrick Mahomes does nothing normal. He, If he's going to take a sack, it's a 30-yard sack, and it's an NFL record. They're going to win one-score games. They're going to do it seven times in a row. I am... I'm worried in as much as I ever have been throughout the course of the season in that they are a team with vulnerabilities. They still don't run the ball particularly well, depending on the situation and the defense they're facing. Their linebacking group can be exploited and is just marred by injury right now. Their offensive line is an absolute mess due to injury and looking more and more like Mitch Schwartz isn't walking through that door, which would be a huge stabilizer. So th- there are vulnerabilities that a really good team can exploit. And so th- I've always viewed them. I've never really viewed the Chiefs as this you know dominant force of nature that can't be beat. The, the advantage that they've always had is that they can play a B-plus game and still beat pretty much anyone. And I think that's still true. But once you start wondering, 
Well, how many B plus or B minus games in a row or, or C plus games or C minus games are you going to see before you think, wow, you know, how likely are they to even have that B plus performance? And I think that's one of the things that has people concerned lately. So I'm as worried as I ever would have been because it, this is still the NFL and you always take the field over one team. They are vulnerable in certain areas, and certain matchups can exploit them, certain offenses. Um, there's a reason the Raiders gave them a hard time twice. Um, they struggle with that kind of speed uh, when, they're, when they're trying to defend it, ironically enough. Or teams that do a really good job picking up Spagnuolo's blitz concepts and have a strong interior line to at least kind of hold Chris Jones at bay somewhat. Um, so that, I'm worried about those things, but... Honestly, because it's been a relatively short sampling of games, you know, you know the, the games that would concern me would be like the Falcons game. That would concern me. I'm willing to say that's just one game. You know, when you look at the, the stretch during that run, they played a couple of Super Bowl contenders and a playoff team. And so it makes it tough for me to not think, I just think most other teams probably would have lost one of those games. Now, will they be able to do it every time? I think they can do it at a higher percentage than other teams, but they're still not even close to a guarantee there. They may be more likely to get that third down conversion, but it's still a high leverage, tough situation to put themselves in. So they're built, I think, to win close games largely because of Mahomes and maybe a defense that can be opportunistic in rushing the passer. You get a unique pass rusher like Chris Jones is maybe a little more likely, right, to just take over a down that's a really high leverage down. But just because it's more likely than your average team, so maybe it's what? I mean, you know, attach just a random number I'm making up off the top of my head. Maybe they're 15% more likely to win a close game. But that's, that's okay, 15% more likely than a coin flip still isn't that great. So it's, it's concerning and they're vulnerable. They're not as strong as we'd expected them to be coming in. But I still think they're probably the team that every team would least like to face. Now, I'm, you know, I'm very skeptical of having to establish the run, do that, would do that sort of stuff. But <laughs> right. I'm a little concerned, not that I think that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is special, is, is super special in, in any sort of way, but I'm a little concerned about Le'Veon Bell, quite honestly, because I just don't know what he has. <laughs> and if you look at the stretch of, right. of one-score games, I think there's been a combination of a couple of different things. And we'll talk about the defense in a second. The defense is like they're they're playing this pressure defense. They're giving up a lot of big plays. Um, and again, it, it's, a, it's a lot of coin flips here. Maybe the coin flips have just been going against them more often than not, but that's a little bit of a concern. Um, but I was just looking through the if you look at the the total like the high the high rusher for any particular game over this stretch of games that they've been playing i mean i'm looking over the last last few games that this, this is the total for the for the highest rusher in the game you know it's 46 79 which is decently high 32 40 37 14 mm-hmm. 21 46 40 it's it's <laughs> you're really not getting any <laughs> production out of there so it's not that like it's not the it's not a necessary it's not it's not like sufficient to win it's not necessary to win but it's nice to have right it's nice to have because then you can get away with having lulls it, it helps paper over those lulls and a little bit better than it would be otherwise um, so so what's your thought on the state of 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 the running game because it's it's been rough to to watch and I guess I get why mm-hmm. sometimes Andy Reid is just saying forget it even when they're playing against the defense that's pinning its ears down and coming after the quarterback. 
Uh, the the thing with the running game, like any other running game, you're generally, even with transcendent running backs, what transcendent running backs generally do, except Jamal Charles, the only running back in history who mattered, and I will die on this hill, um, <laughs> generally what they do is they take good blocking and make it an even better situation, right? Or with horrible blocking, it's not quite as bad. But they don't necessarily you know, create yardage outside of a few plays here and there. Um, Edwards Hilaire being out is a tough deal for the Chiefs, not because of some consistency that their their run blocking is just poor and it doesn't really fit with the player. Like what they're trying to do doesn't really fit with the players that they've got um, in terms of the way they're trying to run the ball. In my opinion, I I think you've got guys that just aren't strong enough at the point of attack to pull to to hold up one-on-one blocks while you're pulling some of their other guys from various spots. And it's just not working. I think they'd be better off with more of a gap system where you just you hand the ball off, you've got a couple double teams, and you let a guy like Edwards Alaire, who's got exceptional quickness and good vision, pick his spots. Or even a guy like Le'Veon Bell, who still has great vision, but not as much quickness anymore, but still enough vision and power to still grind forward. I, they don't seem to have a good mix of that right now, and it's never really found its feet. Um, I think where it'll really bite them is in some of those more you know, third and one, fourth and one, those things where you really just need to run the ball one yard. And they keep, they, they've been relatively successful for the most part, but they haven't been consistent with it. And there's been a few games where it's kind of bit them. So that's something worth keeping an eye on. I don't think you need to run the ball well to win games, but it sure is a nice cherry on top to have to know you can get after it. And Bell has played well with Kansas City, but it's been a small sample size. He's clearly lost a step. Um, but his vision is still really good. And I mean, as we've seen with Frank Gore, you can get by with vision until you're running on one leg. And so I think they should be able to be at least adequate with it. But you know, what is, you know what, let me rephrase that. I think they should be not terrible, but I don't know if that will be adequate in certain high leverage situations where you need a yard or, I don't know if they've got what it takes. Uh, and one example would be they, they ran an option uh, pitch left to to Daryl Williams, who just isn't fast enough to make it happen. And he's not he doesn't make guys miss in space. That's where they're going to miss Edwards Hilaire is those, those, you know, even if it's only 10 to 15, 20 yards a game, those little added yards, that means a lot in close games and in playoff games. And that concerns me with having Clyde out if he, if he doesn't, isn't able to come back. Yeah, and then, like I, I hinted at, the defensive side of the ball. Well, I just was hoping been... I could just ignore that and it would go away. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, well, okay, so let me – part of setting this up, again, this is the one-score game thing. Maybe it's a bit deceptive because we look at some of these games, like against the Buccaneers, they it was 27-10, to 10, and then it ended up being 27-24 against – the Dolphins, it was thirty to ten. It ended up being thirty-three to twenty-seven um, against the Chiefs. That, those are good was, points there. It was twenty-nine to fifteen, which you know it's only two scores, but still, it still ended up at the end being thirty-two to twenty-nine. So, uh, have this has the defense been getting unlucky with, with 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 these teams being able to come back into it, or do you think they're I mean, is there a strategic problem? Maybe when you're when you're ahead by multiple scores, maybe tune it down a bit on on bringing the pressure to to avoid those those bigger plays, or do they have to just play the way they're going to play with the personnel that they have? 
I think the thing that you're seeing there, they have been, Spagnuolo's always been really aggressive in high leverage situations, but he mixed it up more last year because the pass rush, and I'm excluding Chris Jones from this, the pass rush was better last year um individually they were better winning one-on-one Clark has played a little bit better the last few weeks but he's had a down season compared to what he did especially down the stretch last year and they rely you know they they rely on those two guys and you can never you know you, you can never just have one good pass rusher that's not enough because they don't win enough even the best don't win on a frequent enough basis on their own and so I think what Spagnuolo is doing is he's being even more aggressive than normal in those high leverage situations. And with the right quarterbacks, the right coaching, that's going to bite you more often than it's going to help you. So one thing I'd love for them to do, and fortunately it looks like they're going to have you know a, a few weeks here to do some self-scouting, is to really look at the back end of their defense with Legarius Sneed back and playing well, and Thornhill seems to be healthier. And, and you know maybe they need to decide, okay, we can trust our back end a little more than we thought, and we need to stop relying on blitzes so often and just try to you know find ways to get Chris Jones blocked one-on-one or individually. Because the, one of the problems with sending a lot of blitzes and a lot of stunts, twists, that sort of thing, is you can almost, you know if you're telling Chris Jones to run one part of a stunt, you're not giving him the ability to win one-on-one. So that's a long road to a short thought that, yes, that could absolutely bite them. It, they, they haven't been bad. Um, they're, they're facing teams that are throwing the kitchen sink at them because they have to in order to keep up most of the time. And, and they, they've generally been good enough. You know, you can say, well, they've fallen apart in the fourth quarter, but they've been good enough, you know, like you said, you know, to have that 20-point lead, that 14-point lead. Um, they were good enough against Atlanta, and, and Atlanta's had their issues this year, to protect the team when the offense wasn't playing well they're not a bad defense they're an average defense that can peak higher than that or sink lower than that and against the right team i i think that could absolutely bite them so it's not a, an issue of bad luck i think it's an issue of you know when you're an average defense you're going to see that that vacillating back and forth even within individual games now okay so the Frank Clark thing is really interesting to me because he obviously has a very strong reputation. I mean, they, they traded a first round pick and signed him to this huge contract. Um, I, you know, the numbers don't necessarily come through on him, but he seems to have a better reputation amongst teammates and then opponents than he maybe does with some people that are, that are focused on the numbers. So I guess a couple different points. Number one, like how good is Frank Clark really? I mean, is he worth this contract and what and what they paid for him? I mean, obviously, if you go if you go back in time, you do it because it leads to a championship with, when everything happens the same. But like, was that a good move? To or is, is it a good move to be carrying someone on that type of contract, uh, especially knowing that you gave a first round pick up to get him? I mean, I think the the easy thing for people to do is to point at the ring and say they probably right. don't get this without Clark. And so then the question you ask. Is that worth it winning one Super Bowl? I'd say yes. So, like I said earlier, at this point, it's kind of about house money. Um, I don't think they win the Super Bowl last year without Clark, who had a good Super Bowl, had a good playoff run, um, was basically the only guy getting pressure on Deshaun Watson when Chris Jones was out, right? Um, Really helped close games out down the stretch. And I actually wrote about this. He made the finishing play to ice games like 
eight times last year. It was really weird, honestly. It's one of those things that probably isn't predictive. And that might be one of those reasons why you get a difference in maybe teammate and opponent view versus when you're looking at the total numbers because you know the the, the situation is going to make a difference in how people remember a guy right Clark he makes memorable played... plays right uh, absolutely and you know if you want to call it clutch whatever you want to call it um he has not played as well this year as he did to close out last year and we'll see what he does in the playoffs he like on film he looks different he doesn't look as strong he, he used to win, like in Seattle, he was very, very consistently, and a lot of last year, once his nerve got healthy, he was consistently winning with long arms, bull rushes, power-based moves, and he just is not winning with those this year or even trying them as often. And that was a problem last year. Turned out he had a pinched nerve issue. No idea what the issue might be this year. I think he, he's, he's been an okay player. He was very good down the stretch last year. They don't win the Super Bowl without him in all likelihood. This year, he has been an average player. Um, for the most part, outside of one or two games where he's maybe been better, one or two games he's been worse. Is that long-term worth, worth that contract? No. Would I tell him to go back and do the exact same thing? Absolutely, because, again, I don't think they win the Super Bowl without him. It's going to be interesting to see, though, after this year and next year, what they do with that given other contract situations. Because it is interesting how Chris Jones, in a lot of ways, with people that follow the team closely, was almost a more controversial long-term signing, even though he's an objectively better player and especially objectively better pass rusher, and it's not even close. So it'll be interesting if they try to have to make some decisions as to what are the cornerstones of this team and who can be it, because Clark has not played this year like a cornerstone. Yeah, that's interesting with Jones, because I think objectively they got a good deal for for the contract. I was kind of surprised it ended up being as team friendly as it was i don't know something's happened i don't know what's going on um i don't know if brett veach has some sort of mind control or something where he's getting patrick <laughs> mahomes to sign these 10-year contracts and, and he's getting other players to to sign some pretty friendly deals so yeah that that's a little bit a little bit strange to me okay so the, the last the last topic that i have for you and i appreciate the time and i was um is maybe this is not really a controversial this is not really a, a question anymore but in the playoffs looking out on the landscape especially of the of the AFC here. Who is the team that really makes you worried the most and is there anyone else other than the the Buffalo Bills I guess cuz I think the Bills have kind of ascended into that spot pretty rapidly over the course of the last few weeks. Mhm. Um I think, you know, if 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 I've got to take out the Bills, I think they're the obvious choice for the best team to compete because Josh Allen can play in a shootout with Mahomes. Man, and if the he, Bills win, <laughs> the, the 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 talk about Josh Allen is going to like oh. reach such a fever pitch, and I can't wait for <laughs> off season. Would you rather have Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes articles? Absolutely be so amazing. But go, go yep, ahead. It, it's it's going to be great. It, it's already Chiefs fans. One reason I think that they get a little feisty when it comes to Mahomes is in the course of three years they've already heard multiple quarterbacks. Would you rather have Deshaun J- Watson? Would you rather have Lamar Jackson? Would you rather have you know? And now and now the latest is Josh Allen. So we'll see. Right. Um, I think that makes them a little testy. So I, I think the the Bills are the obvious one. I do think there are a few other teams that, that people are that would kind of count out. I think Miami played them really tough the first time and have a good defense that's built to maybe give them some problems. One thing I would note, generally speaking, and this isn't all the time, generally speaking, the second or third time Mahomes plays teams, he does better. 
Um, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a smart player. Andy Reid is a smart coach. And so they, they're a team that I think could give them some problems. I think the Ravens, this is going to sound bad, and I'm probably dooming the Chiefs right now. I don't worry about the Ravens because I think schematically what they do on defense, unless they figure out something completely different, it just doesn't work against the Chiefs. And yeah. at this point, the Chiefs have just climbed inside their head. And I, it's that's got to be a very difficult thing to do. I, the, but the, really, I would worry about the uh, the Titans to a small extent as well if they get in. I know there's a lot of weird scenarios right now. Um, in that, when their offense is clicking, it's incredibly efficient and can keep up with the Chiefs, and they've got a good physical defense. So there, there are multiple teams that I think could. Any team that makes the playoffs could beat the Chiefs. Um, but as much as you told me I wasn't allowed to take this one, the only the only team that that genuinely it's like that's going to be an in, you know that's a coin flip game or maybe a sixty forty game or sixty five thirty five game whatever would be the Bills just because I think their ceiling is higher than the other teams um, and you'll notice I did not mention the Steelers anywhere there because I just don't think that they can beat the Chiefs. I yeah. and not just because of this, not because of this recent slide they've went through. I think they've been losing games based on the very real issues that they already had, and I just don't think that that unless their defense can hold Mahomes and company to twenty points or less, which hey the Falcons did it, so who knows? I, I just don't. I just don't think Roethlisberger has what it takes anymore. Yeah this this uh, this week off for Big Ben. I don't know what he's gonna, <laughs> he's going to have to. Visit uh, TB12 clinic and uh, I don't know. It, it shoots some stem cells into that into that arm or something. And, and get, you got to do get something. something going on. It gets something going on because yeah, it, it could be it, it could be a little bit it could be a little bit rough there. Um, yeah, I, I think I'm in agreement with you. The Ravens. I mean, I thought that that we've kind of forgotten about it now, but that Mahomes game against the Ravens, uh, whatever it was, the third or fourth week of the season, it was pretty early on. I thought it was one of the best games of the year that that anyone has played, and we we kind of forgot about it just because it was such a it was such a destruction there. So um, we shall see what will happen. It'll be it'll be an interesting and exciting playoffs, and I think the the single bye week is is going to be a really interesting uh, point in here mm-hmm. because people are probably undervaluing it a little bit. And congratulations to to the Chiefs for getting that. So, yeah. well, Seth, thank you so much for joining me again. Follow Seth on Twitter. It's at RealMNChiefsFan. He does great work for The Athletic. Great follow on Twitter. Uh, someone who incorporates numbers into his analysis, you know, mostly to just make the Chiefs look better, but also because I think you have an appreciation for, for, for the numbers, which, which, I, which I love. And I uh, just want to thank everyone for listening. Please rate and review the pod. And uh, I'll be talking at you next week. Thanks. Thanks.